Hi, I'm Adrian Albert, CEO of The Marketing Directors, and you're listening to Real Direct. In this series, we'll be speaking to great minds and the future of residential real estate. Joining me now is Nancy Ruddy, founding partner at the New York-based architecture and design firm, Cetra Ruddy. She's directed program development and strategic planning for more than 20 million square feet of architectural and interior design work. The powerful environment she creates gives each Cetra Ruddy environment a unique branded identity in the minds of developers, residents, and users. Nancy, thanks so much for taking the time to meet with us today. My pleasure. And now my pleasure. <laughs> so I've known you for many years now. We don't have to say how many. I've known you for many years. What do you enjoy most about practicing architecture? There's a few things that I really love about practicing architecture. The first is that it's so exciting to feel that your days are filled with designing and strategizing for the future. And that's what's very exciting. The other thing is that because we have a diverse practice, I learn every day, whether I'm working on a residence, a synagogue, a school, or a project in a new country, I'm learning about new traditions. And, and one of the things in thinking about this is that we've just started a project in Korea, and I just came back from two weeks learning about their culture. Things like taking off your shoes in, you know, before you enter, or that they don't have coat closets in the foyer. Or what's most interesting is every home has a kimchi refrigerator that's separate from the regular refrigerator because it's stored four or five degrees lower than regular food. You know, Canadians also take off their shoes before they come into your home. I think that's a function of climate more than anything else, though. Yeah. What do you think are some of the critical issues and challenges that are facing residential real estate here today? I think that there's a number of things, but I think that in no particular order, uh -huh. I think we are dealing with a time where people are rethinking what their home means to them. And, you know, post-COVID, with most people working hybrid work schedules, we're really thinking about the next chapter of living and how one adapts a home to working and living and playing, obviously. So I think that's one of the challenges. The other is the fact that people are not going back to their offices as much as they used to. And so how do we get people coming back to the inner city and really getting that vibrancy back? And residential has a lot to do with that. I know that you're a thought leader in multifamily housing. What are the things that you just spoke about? How are they applied to multifamily housing? What are the physical changes that we see happening? So one of the interesting things is that having worked with developers for many, many years, our development clients are saying, okay, you can explore these new sorts of paradigms for living, but they're saying that you can't use an extra square foot so yes, a one-bedroom apartment can be 550 square feet and have all of these other goodies in it, but you can't expand the real estate. So some of the things that we're looking at is turning kitchens 
into work areas, extending counters and making a very specific area where you can have your laptop, your papers, where you don't have to work on the dining room table. We're looking at every niche in an apartment and seeing how can we create another kind of activity space. The other thing that is very, very important is this indoor-outdoor connectivity. What I think people have found, having been home for a long time, is that having exposure to nature is very, very important. And the Babylonians knew this back when they invented biophilic design, which we talk about all the time. And even the, the hanging towers of Babylon were designed for the army to come and spend time and de-stress before they went out to battle. So the idea of creating more outdoor space, either private outdoor space or shared outdoor space, where people who are in their apartments now for 40 hours extra a week can expand their experience of indoor and outdoor. I'm very excited by your concept of maximizing function in every part of someone's home. So much space is wasted, and it's exciting to hear that you're making it usable and more helpful for the person who's living there. We know that you have a hybrid remote work schedule. How's that working for you? When we came back, we tried what everyone else has tried, that there's an A team, a B team, people coming in and out. But we found that the mojo of Setcher Ruddy, you know, we have a very tight community, that people were not seeing each other. And so we made the decision very, very early on that we would all come in Tuesday through Thursday, and then we would work at home Monday or fr and Friday, and you could come into the office. So out of 85 people on the Mondays and Fridays, we have 10 people, 15 people coming in. But it has worked really well for us because we had already had set up in everyone's home our whole system, so they had accessibility to the computers and CAD and Revit and things like that. And we're finding that people are being even more creative. And so we've decided that this Tuesday through Thursday is gonna be a paradigm for Setra Ruddy forever, as, as long as we can. Yeah, that's wonderful, yeah, that's the, wonderful. The only disadvantage of a hybrid work situation is that younger people do not get the exposure to be mentored. And so we're finding that younger people are developing slower and we don't get to know people as well. And we're, you know, even though we're 85 people, we're a very familial environment. And so we really encourage people to reach us out. And we've developed all sorts of new mentoring systems so that younger people and, you know, mid-level people get more exposure to us. Because I think it's those times when you're across a table looking at drawings, sharing ideas, that's how people grow fastest. So that's, the, I think, the only downside that we found. We found that the camaraderie, the sharing of ideas, the excitement of coming to work was lost and people started to come back and they missed it. Mm -hmm. So we made it as uh, pleasant as we could with dinners and lunches. And soon yeah. everybody was back in as a pretty full schedule. We don't clock people. So I'm very encouraged that they love their work enough right. to do that. Okay. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yes, yes. There used to be a lot of discussion on environmental considerations. And right now we hear 
less of that and more of COVID considerations, mm -hmm. but how have environmental considerations impacted the design or the construction of the buildings that you're working on today? We as a firm have always been committed to so what we call socially responsive design and to be good global citizens in what we build, because what we build will last 100 years, 200 years. So when people think about sustainability, they think about carbon footprint, they think about passive house, and we believe that it's a much broader issue. And I think it's being done and pursued by thoughtful architects and thoughtful developers. So sustainability is about reducing our carbon footprint, but it's also about health and well-being. And we really believe that a building can help people's health and well-being who live in a building. So it's about filtered water. It's about cross-ventilation and, and getting light and air without doing it mechanically. It's about, again, providing spaces outside of the apartment or the home where you can have mind-body experiences, not just a fitness center that is great for your biceps, but maker spaces and mindfulness spaces. And, and I think that it has to do with environment. It really has to do with environment. And there's all sorts of program. Everyone knows about LEED, which mm -hmm. is really old fashioned in a way. It was LEED, then it was Passive House. Now, you know, we're thinking about how do we encourage people to be more physically fit without using a machine? So encouraging people to use the stair having things within the apartment that help you open and close, and that goes into aging in place. So I think that the environment is so critical, but we can't forget about people and people's lives and how, how we can make that better. I think one of the technologies that is so exciting that we're all looking at, or a lot of people are looking at, is mass timber construction, because that technology means almost no steel, no concrete, and it's using natural materials. And it's not taking trees out of endangered forests. This timber is being cultivated for this use. And one of the biggest challenges right now is mass timber has been used on one-story, two-story, three-story. The big challenge, and we're looking into this, is how do you do a mid-rise or a high-rise residential building out of mass timber? And I think that that is really a wave of the future and it's ultimate sustainability. It's, it's using plant material, it, it's using non-artificial, authentic materials. So that's one of the exciting things that we're looking at. That's very exciting. You mentioned aging in place. Have you seen any changes that are being implemented now to deal with the aging population? I think there's a lot of things happening in that, you know, when you live in a major city, there are what's called ADA requirements that enable someone who has a disability, not, an, not that aging is a disability, to really use and enjoy their apartment and a building. So we have a lot of those things already at mandated, but there are things such as thinking about when someone becomes less limber and you don't have the ability to take that pasta pot from the bottom drawer, or providing pot fillers on the top of counters so that you don't have to then carry over, you know, water, things of that sort. I think providing spaces 
where people can turn around, you know, and it's not when you age in place, it's not a wheelchair necessarily or a walker, but it's about stability. People can have canes. So we are always thinking about that in the luxury market where we used to have, you know, small elevators because it was a luxury. Now we're really looking at areas that can be a closet right now. But if you have a duplex apartment or you have an outdoor space that's one floor up to make it so that your lifestyle doesn't have to change. And I think we all as human beings, most of us would love to age in place. You know, and that's where that term came from. So we're looking at a lot of that in all of our projects, whether it's affordable housing or luxury housing, and having things that appeals in amenity spaces, not just to the 25-year-old millennial who's physically fit and, you know, wants to press 200 pounds versus kinds of activities that everyone from when you're 20 you know, to when you're 90 would like to use. So we're doing a lot more music rooms. We're doing maker rooms, which is relatively new to New York, where you can have a painting class or you can throw pottery or rooms for TED Talks, you know, for all kinds of dancing and at all levels. And, and I think that creating spaces so that someone feels I need to leave my home and go to another kind of community. I mean, the other thing that's very interesting that's happening is there used to be these 55 plus facilities. And now there's a lot of communities that understand that we as the baby boomers, as we age, we want sophisticated design. You know, we, we want all of the amenities. We don't want it to be a step before assisted living. So I think what's happening all over the country is that the design quality of homes for, I don't want to say senior because I'm a senior, but I never think, we don't think of ourselves as that. So I think the design quality, I mean, I think that's very innovative that's happening. It's not floral wallpaper on the walls and cherry, you know, furniture. It's, it's, it's becoming very, very sophisticated. You bring up a good point. I've always felt that your design sense elevates the interior finishes in such a way that it differentiates what you've designed from what many other people design. And that's, as a marketer, that's very helpful for us, certainly. And I've been very appreciative of that over the years. Where do you draw your inspiration? We always start with the context, who the demographic is. And so that's sort of a baseline. But I travel a lot. And when we travel, we really look at how things are done in other parts of the world. That's one part. We do a lot of research. And, you know, we have a research group within our marketing group. We research whether it's new kinds of, you know, handles that is great for aging in place or for COVID and materials because we never like to repeat ourselves. So we design from the inside out and we always look for something that has attitude. You know, that's a word that I use with my designers that we can use the word authentic, we can use crafted, which, you know, people say about our work. But to me, taking a position is very, very important. And there are some clients who are afraid of that. But every time we design a project, and it's a market maker, we've done have a lot of market makers, it's because no one has done it before. Not to be different, but because it answers something about how do we want to live and what is the next chapter. And then selecting materials and 
how in materials interact is very important. Never having a one-note design. You know, how metal and glass and leather and marble interact with each other so that it's very personal. That's a term I also talk about a lot, that it's not generic. And that requires confidence in the developer to say, okay, I have a really sensitive design group that I'm working with. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust my own instincts, but I'm going to trust that and say, oh, I've never seen it before. But the truth is, you design it, you build it, and then everybody does the same. When I think about it, you know, when you asked, you know, earlier, why do I love what I do? Part of it is that we want to create inspiring spaces without hitting you on the head. Because sometimes you walk through our lobbies and you say, oh, this is beautiful. But then you'll walk through a fourth or a fifth time and you'll see those little details, you know, and that sensitivity. So that's who we are. And we do it because we love it. I've always said, if I didn't love this, I would be a lawyer or I could sell tires or, or whatever it is. But we have such a passion for what we do. And it's personal. It's working with people like you, Adrian. It's working with, you know, our clients and that personal connection and collaboration is so important to us, and that's where creativity comes from. I totally understand your point about design unfolding as you get to know the space better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the richest aspects of your work, and certainly one of the strongest. For us as marketers, it gives us something to talk about. It gives us a way to prove value for what we're doing through your work. So it's extremely important mm -hmm. and uh, very much appreciated. I don't want you to think it goes unnoticed. Oh, thank you. Are there any specific innovations that you see happening anywhere, for example, in a bathroom? It's interesting because the bathroom, particularly the primary bathroom, has become a whole other room that one lives in. It's not just a place to wash your face and take a shower. One of the things we're seeing, and, you know, there's an advent of having two primary bedrooms in homes and in apartments where it's been found that, that you can have two significant others who have very different sleeping habits or one stays up and watch television, the other one cannot fall asleep with the television on. And so we're designing not just single family, but multifamily to have two primary bedrooms. One of the things we've been designing and we've doing, we've only done it in private homes, but we're about to start to do it in multifamily is to have a shared bathroom between two primary, because even if they have different sleeping habits, they still like to that conversation that happens when one person is brushing their teeth and the other person is getting out of a shower. So we're, we're designing showers for two that have entree from the two separate areas. So I think that's something that's really, really interesting that we're doing. What's really surprising to me, because I put my makeup on in the subway, is dressing tables. You know, this idea that has come back of even if it's three feet wide or even 30 inches wide, where someone can sit down and put their makeup on or put their cufflinks on, but a place to sit in the bathroom while they're still, it's like the old fashioned doing your boudoir. We're doing actually a project on a condominium on the Upper East Side that we're reintroducing that concept of the dressing table, but we're doing it so that 
within the drawer. They're, the hair dryer is connected. It's in there. The men's and women's place for watches and jewelry are there so that if you, you, you know, you've taken a shower, you've gotten dressed, you're, you know, you have your beautiful walk-in closet, but in the bathroom, you have that moment where you can relax. On single family, we're doing fireplaces in primary bedrooms, bathrooms. The other thing that we're doing in multifamily housing is the rule used to be on secondary and tertiary bathrooms that you could have a 24-inch vanity. And, you know, it's the kiddie bathroom, as they call it. But we have been doing wider vanities so that people have stuff. So we're doing that. The multi-functional experiential shower, which has been around for a long time, people are doing more and more of that. One of the things that is really exciting about the development process is working with marketing directors and a firm from day one. I always believe that collaboration and exchange of ideas is so seminal to developing the right product for a specific location. And I wanted to say thank you, you know, for having me on and that collaboration and having a real estate company that is open to new ideas because a lot of people say, oh, this is what worked for me in the past. And marketing directors always says, where is the future? And that's where our two firms, I think, are very symbiotic. And it's, it's really been a pleasure. So thank you, Nancy. We feel the same way. I've enjoyed so much chatting with you. And I know that our listeners will as well. It's wonderful. To learn more about Nancy Ruddy, please visit cetraruddy.com. And to learn more about the marketing directors, please visit themarketingdirectors.com. I'm Adrian Albert. Thank you for listening to Real Direct elevating residential real estate.